1: Stand in the place where you live, dear people of the internet. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, just trying to keep my sanity during the great American lockdown as the coronavirus chaos further encroaches on our lives for reasons that really aren't all that clear. In fact, it looks like every data manipulation trick in the book is being used to create a panic that is not only unjustified, but surely could have consequences much more severe than any potential new virus on the loose, even by the CDC's own metrics. Not to mention the sleight of hand we're seeing when it comes to lumping in anything that at least half matches the COVID-19 symptoms, even in the broadest of senses, the radically flawed testing and the harsh treatment protocols that are being used on the weakest and most elderly of patients. And despite all that, the models are still being drastically reduced and headline after headline is telling us infection rates are slowing, though the cultural crackdown certainly is not. It's enough to get the world so worked up they're almost begging from their suburban bunkers for a magic vaccine that doesn't even exist. And these are things we surely don't need to tell today's returning guest Del Bigtree as he's covered it all and more, as well as anyone could, on his show The High Wire. Which not only does the best database deep dives into vaccines and the true causes for concern surrounding them, but has also been delivering the same high-level coverage on the ongoing coronavirus saga. If you missed his last appearance on THC, let me remind you that Dell is a very accomplished medical investigative journalist who produced the daytime talk show The Doctors on CBS for six years, which actually won an Emmy during that time. Dell then went on to produce one of the best vaccine documentaries on this island Earth called Vaxed: from Cover-Up to Catastrophe. And his nonprofit ICANN remains the gold standard for true vaccine advocacy and has won lawsuits against the National Institute of Health, the FDA, and most recently the CDC for their irresponsible and dishonest messaging regarding vaccines and autism. We are lucky to have him on our side, a bright mind for these troubled times, the coronavirus hype killer and justice-seeking, science-loving journalist for justice, Dell Bigtree. Welcome back to the higher side. Uh, it's good to be
0: here after that opening. I don't know what we have left to talk about, but that was that was awesome.
1: <laughs> I try, man. I try. got to set them up. You know, right. uh, attention spans are short these days, but I am as thankful as ever to have you here. I very much think your work is the best bridge for my people to share with their friends and family who might not agree with their thoughts on big pharma or the concerns over vaccine safety. And this coronavirus coverage has been no different, just as solid as ever. And it seems that the story you get from taking a sober look at the science itself is a lot different than the story you get from cable news, which I think is a great place to start. If we were to maybe set this up for people who have been affected by the media-induced panic and scary images and numbers they've seen day after day, talk to us about how the data itself around COVID-19 is actually less scary than it's being made out to be.
0: Well, I mean, I think if you, the the very, you know, the simplest thing you can do, if if people were going to say, where do I start? Just look at the overall death number in the world, which is, you know, right around 100,000 deaths now around the world. Now, that means that essentially you have to understand here in America, we would call that a bad flu season. We have had seasons where we had 100,000 deaths and no one batted an eye we average out in the range of, I think last year was like almost 60,000 deaths from the flu in the United States alone. So the global numbers are still within the range of what we would accept from a flu season in America. So I think you have to start right there and ask yourselves, while that's always been happening, we never shut down the United States of America before, and we certainly didn't shut down the world. These numbers are actually tiny. They're insignificant numbers. That's not to say that people aren't suffering. And for those people that sit in this really tiny group of people that are having an extreme uh, adverse reaction to this illness, you know, my heart goes out to those families and those people. But as you sort of mentioned in your opening, we also have to question if we're not killing those people with the wrong approach towards treatment, which is, I think, the fastest growing story right now in the world. But you just start with the, the, the numbers. That's, that's what you can understand. I think where we really have had a lot of trouble is in this idea we've been hearing for, you know, really months now, we don't know what the denominator is, right? We don't know how many people are infected. So we don't know what the death rate of this is. And, and I've been reporting on that for, I mean, a good month and a half now. We went over, you know, over six weeks ago, we started with China and looked at the numbers in China, the death rates in China and then compared them to what was the assumed amount of infection. Remember, we can't test everybody. So we're never going to know how you know, large a group are actually infected. Really, really interesting stories coming out this week, like out of California, where they're starting to question whether or not we all had coronavirus in America last year, that we already had immunity. They're trying to understand why the numbers are so low. And then, you know, So uh, I think there's a lot of different things we're going to have to look at scientifically to see were we told the true story from the beginning. But in the end, you still can't get away from the death numbers. We may be able to manipulate the infection numbers, and we definitely know they're bloating the death numbers. But the death numbers are solid. Those are things that we can go from. And we are still, I think right now in America, we're in 20, 20, I think the last I checked was 22,000. Maybe we're at 25 today again, that that we're still, you know, halfway through what would be your average flu season. So what is it that we are all really panicked about? Why do I, I mean, I just got noticed yesterday, the county I live in, in Texas now is a mandatory mask, has to be worn out in public, and it's a stay at home order. And I think we're all looking around saying, for what? What are we hiding from? What are we hiding from?
1: (laughs) Well said, I agree with you. And You know, even a bad flu season can be made to look a lot worse because, like you say, the deaths are real, but the cause of death is a little bit fishy because we have this very unscientific trend of just taking assumed or presumed cases and just marking it COVID-19. Just use that code directly from the CDC. And as I learned from your show, they even have a line in there that's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, just mark it down. It's unlikely we will be following up on these cases at all. And that's pretty telling.
0: Yeah, when the CDC essentially sends out, and by the way, you know, I, I reported on that two weeks ago that they have this death certificate and it's a new code for COVID-19. It does, it says, whether you're assuming it's COVID-19 or it actually is COVID-19, we don't really care. Call the death COVID-19. And as if that wasn't enough, just I think two days ago, they resent the letter again. In case you missed the memo, we're telling you, Call it all COVID-19. There's also huge incentives. We understand that they're paying something like 20% more for COVID cases in hospitals, the Medicare system. If you're on Medicare, you get a 20% bonus if it's a COVID-19. We also heard things, I'm starting to see numbers. We maybe, you know, we're looking into it that you get nearly $10,000, $13,000 as soon as you have a COVID patient in your hospital. And then if you put them on a respirator, it's like another 30 or $40,000 you're given. All of these are incentivizing, you know, for people to call it COVID. And remember, there's not enough tests everywhere. So they're going into these protocols and getting paid these monies for assumptions about the whole thing. And yet, even under those circumstances, we're still in the low 20,000 deaths. Now, I know that sounds cold hearted, but these are just cold hard numbers, and they always are. We are right on track for a flu season that we would be having in America right now. Yet, we are, you know, really hyper focused on death and apparently if you tell americans that one in a million can die that one really stands out to them and that's how they do it just the idea of anyone dying is terrifying to everybody and let's be clear it has been stated all around the world and even dr deborah burks has said we are just like italy italy's death was the average age is somewhere between 81 and 85 years old with comorbidities, meaning they had at least one to three other life-threatening illnesses when they passed. So when Italy went through their numbers, they said 99% of our deaths had comorbid issues, other issues that were life-threatening. After they went through and sort of filtered through it, they came to the determination that 88% of the people that had been listed as dying from COVID-19 did not actually die from COVID-19. Those other life-threatening illnesses were, you know, were why they expired. And so that leaves you with you have to take the numbers out of Italy and just say it's only 12 percent of that. If Deborah Burks is telling us we mirror Italy, we should be doing the same thing. So if we're at 22 percent right now, I mean, 22,000 or, you know, roughly, I didn't look at it this morning, 12 percent of that is really the number you can assume was actually COVID-19. The rest had heart diseases and diabetes and things that were most likely on the verge of claiming their life, cancer, things like that. And then think about all the deaths. I mean, there's so much we can talk about today. But think about the fact that basically all of your heart surgeons are being sent home. All of your cancer doctors, oncologists, there are no transplants. There's no organ transplants taking place. So people that were on a list with a life-threatening situation – that were planning on getting that organ that was gonna save their life, whether it's from a relative or a bank, that surgery's not happening. So what's happening to all those people? They are most likely dying. Heart surgeons aren't in the hospital. They are, I mean, what we understand is they're sort of doing shifts. So if you're outside of the ER or the ICU and you you have a specialty, you're on for seven days and then you're off for like 14 days, then you're on for seven days. So even this idea that the hospital's understaffed, this situation, they're cutting their staff virtually in half by the way that they're dealing with it. And then we talk to a heart doctor; it makes perfect sense. He's like, "I'm not doing any stents. I'm not doing any of the sort of the minor procedures that would keep people alive that are having heart conditions right now. None of that's being done. We're just handing them drugs, and good luck with that." So, what is that death rate going to be this year when we look back at it? All of this over panic because now Germany has studies out there reporting that 0.37% is the actual death rate of COVID-19. There was a study two weeks ago in the Lancet Journal that looked at the China numbers and said it looked like it was about 0.63%, I think it was, but all of it under 1%. We are literally changing our lives, running around with our hair on fire, because a group of people, less than 1% of us, now even less than half a percent, somewhere in the 0.37 range, have a sort of really extreme reaction to this illness. Whereas, as as they pointed out, children, under 17, you're at a zero really with what it will do with you. 17 to 34, you know, there'll be one or two serious cases that most likely, almost no deaths anywhere. So really under 65, for most people, this is going to be a common cold at best. Mm
1: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great points. And yeah, the devil's in the details. And this is all important stuff. You mentioned that one of the big stories right now could be that we might be killing people with an incorrect protocol. And I wanted to talk to you about that because you covered Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel, who came out and said that at first he was under the impression that he was treating people with the pneumonia-like virus, like everyone else assumed. But as he dealt with more and more patients, he found that these symptoms are a better match for high altitude sickness or the bends when people go scuba diving. And as you said, this is a big deal because if people are coming in completely coherent and then put into a medically induced coma so that they can be put on a ventilator, it's very possible some people are dying from that protocol who shouldn't be put into a coma or put on a ventilator at all.
0: I think it's more than possible. I think it's now being stated by doctors around the world. Many doctors are now following Kyle Seidel into this entire discussion, saying we're having the same thing. They're saying that 80%, and this is the, sort of the going number, that at least 80% of people being put on ventilators for COVID-19 die. That's higher than usual. I mean, you have to remember, usually if you're being put on a ventilator, you are in critical care no matter what's going on. So, you know, the death rate on ventilators tends to be around 50 to 60%. For whatever reason you're on it, whether you're just in a, in a you know a, a brutal car accident or you're suffering from you know your chemotherapy or whatever the case may be. But we're talking even higher than that. And I said I really the, – the video that Cameron put out was very powerful, but it may not have affected me the same way. I mean you could ask yourself, well, I mean this is just one guy except that I'd gotten reports earlier in the week. Just two weeks ago, I was talking to a doctor that wanted to remain anonymous, and he had said – everyone on a respirator dies. Everyone on a respirator is dying. And I thought that was an outrageous statement. I said, really, I'm, are you exaggerating? He said, no, I mean, out of all the hundreds that have come through you know, our hospital and the hospitals around me and all my friends, I only know of two people that ever got off the respirators. So that's sort of, or the ventilators. And so that's what really, when then when Cameron Kyle Seidel came forward, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I'm hearing. And now that he's been very outspoken, there are doctors all over in fact we're starting to see a protocol change we saw it with Boris Johnson who i would i think is the highest ranking human being on the planet so far that we've seen go into an icu with covid-19 they said they were putting him there so that they could get him on a ventilator if necessary but instead they used oxygen which seems obvious you know i think the difference i thought a ventilator was oxygen i you know i'm in, in sort of my Lack of understanding, I didn't really think about the fact that, right, you're putting someone in a coma and a ventilator is sort of rammed down your throat and a tube goes down into your lungs. Well, we weren't really, and this is my understanding of after interviewing a lot of different doctors about this, the reason they weren't using oxygen and specifically pressurized oxygen, CPAPs, and these masks that push oxygen in is is because it can aerosolize the virus. And so, all right, it's a it's a decent concern. But now think about this. And and the way Cameron Kyle Seidel described it is quite chilling. He said, normally when we're ventilating people, they are, you know, not conscious. I mean, they are they are struggling to stay alive. He said, that just isn't what we're seeing here. He talks about a patient, this woman, very coherent, speaking very clearly to him, saying, I feel fine, I'm just having trouble, you know getting oxygen she she her lungs could move which is why you get a ventilator she wasn't having trouble with the 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 muscles she didn't in her cat scan have any fluid in her lungs she didn't seem to have pneumonia so as he was describing it's and the more we know about this apparently it's the it's the transfer of oxygen through your red blood cells that is really the problem so they're seeing these coherent people but with very low oxygen percentages in their blood my understanding is once you drop below 90%, that's when hospitals start to get worried and we're hearing reports of people that are less than 70% oxygen in their blood or 50% yet still talking and coherent. So what we're to understand now is around the world, people were walking into hospitals, they are fully coherent and being told we are gonna put you in a coma and put a ventilator you know, down your throat and, Now our understanding is at least 80% of those people never came back to us. And the question, and now as we're looking at the disease, there's several studies under review right now that are describing this to be more like a blood illness than a respiratory illness, which is really fascinating. It also leads to why perhaps chloroquine and zinc and dithromycin are successful treatments because they're actually treating You know this this COVID nineteen, which appears to be trying to lock on to your your blood and block the oxygen, which is a lot how uh, malaria apparently uh, works. Is malaria goes after your your red blood cells and hemoglobin and affects your oxygen rates in your blood. So all very interesting stuff. But think about this. Really, if you listen to the language, and there was I mean we've heard so many different reports, but for the most part. Everyone around the world agreed that this didn't have a super high death rate. It just had a very extreme scenario where those who are having complications were gonna need ventilators. And it was going to tax the amount of ventilators we had in hospitals. So there was a concern that the rooms and the beds where ventilators were in the ICUs that we would be overrun, which is why we started lockdowns all around the world. The idea was to try and slow down the virus, which yes, for 95 to 99% of us is a non-event. That 1%, it was such a critical event that they didn't want to have more deaths because we didn't have enough ventilators, right? That was the argument in New York. That is the argument in Seattle and around the world and in Italy, where they really did seem to be overrun. Remember, that hasn't happened in America. We haven't had a single hospital that ran out of beds, ventilators, or anything. Uh, And now my understanding is they're taking down the field hospitals all around the country. But the idea was just to simply give doctors time, right, so that we had enough ventilators. Well, now imagine if the ventilator is what was killing everybody, right? The entire argument for locking down was we had to be able to have enough ventilators to handle this, Well, now it appears that that treatment was the wrong treatment, and we were actually potentially killing people all around the world with ventilators. There's basically a mandate, even on the CDC website now, everyone's being told lead out with oxygen and start with oxygen and see where you get. It worked for Boris Johnson, he walked out a day later. I don't know what other drugs and things they may have tried with him. And then you can, I think that uh, it's really suspicious how much there is an attack on all of the trials around the world that are showing so much success with chloroquine, the malarial drug, and and zinc. I mean, when you have the type of success we're hearing about, the Didier Raoult in France, who was the first one, one of the world's top virologists, he said two months ago, We have a chloroquine trial that did very good in China. He said, not only is this respiratory illness treatable, it's one of the easiest to treat we've ever seen. And yet there's been this pushback to not use these protocols with chloroquine. There's also been very successful intravenous vitamin C trials. I don't want to leave those out, but for a lot of people, they hear a vitamin and they just tune out. So if you need a drug, there's a drug out there there's now been, I think, uh, Didier Rao just did a, a study with, I think it's 1,028 people and had, uh, I think, about a 98% success rate. There's a doctor in New York who's treated over 800 patients successfully. We're hearing it all around the world. And yet, our public officials, Anthony Fauci and Deborah Birx, and, you know, are saying, we can't get back to normal until we have a vaccine. It just shows you, I mean, that right there outs the fact that that's an agenda. That's an agenda. No one in their right mind under these circumstances, as you so clearly put in your opening, would be wishing for a product that doesn't exist and saying, we won't have our lives back until what I call this, the the vaccine unicorn arrives. When you have drugs that are having so much success, why would the head of NIAID and of this crisis in America, not be saying, we're having a lot of hope, and if that drug's close, there must be another drug that maybe even does better, but as soon as we can cure these people, and we can take care and keep people from dying, this is over, because for the rest of us, this is a cold. The second you can say, you know what, there really is no longer a risk of death because we have the right treatment, we're all back to work, most of us are gonna get a cold, then we'll have herd immunity, why is that not the discussion? When we're having so much success from this drug, it shows you they don't want a drug to work. It is so clear by their languaging. This isn't a conspiracy theory. Dr. Anthony Fauci does not want any drug to work. That is why he is saying, I'm not letting your life go back to normal until we get to the
1: unicorn vaccine. So true. And it should be probably pretty obvious to this audience, but much like Bill so. Gates, Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fauci has a financial incentive, some might say a conflict of interest, in convincing the public that only a vaccine can save us now because the two guys could make hundreds of billions of dollars potentially. And the vaccine makes no sense at all when you take into account chloroquine because we got 75 years of safe use versus zero with a vaccine. And yeah. when you compare them and contrast them, it makes no logical sense that you would wait for something that doesn't exist when we have something that does. And remember how
0: cautious Tony Fauci was about that we gotta get into trials on chloroquine. We gotta make sure it's safe, right? Even though we've used it for malaria and all sorts of other you know, off-label uses, as you said, For 70 years. Yet, on the other hand, we are skipping animal trials for the vaccines. And my understanding is there's now 70 vaccines that are going to be going into trials to attempt to handle the coronavirus. And we're skipping animal trials. We can get into it in a minute how dangerous that is. This is not just your average vaccine. I just want to say to people, you know, I think we think, well, you know, we have chicken pox vaccine, rotavirus and measles, yada, yada, all the ones we give our kids. This is just another one of those. Folks, it is not another one of those. They have been attempting to make a coronavirus vaccine for decades. They are also using a brand new approach to vaccination. In this case, an mRNA using an mRNA, which is or, or a DNA vaccine. These are spelunking into places in the immune system they have never been for before. In the case of mRNA vaccines, again, we've been attempting this since the 1990s and still not one has made it onto the market because we are messing with your natural, really, if you think of your body as a computer, we are sending in a false message to try and make it work. Very, very dangerous stuff. And in the animal models you know that took place in all those trials I told you where they were trying to make a coronavirus vaccine. Especially remember when we had SARS coronavirus, there was a real push to try and protect in case SARS came back. And so guys like Dr. Peter Hotez has been a very outspoken proponent of vaccines. He was working on a coronavirus vaccine. Multiple drug companies were. And in almost every case in the animal trials, the vaccine looked like it was safe. In the, in the different versions, they would give it to the animals. They seemed to be healthy. Their bodies were creating antibodies. Look, the vaccine's going to be great. People were jumping up and down you know, in their laboratories. But then came the challenge test, where they actually put the animals in contact with the coronavirus, and something happened none of them could explain. They're now calling it antibody immune enhancement. Sounds really nice and friendly, but it can kill you. What happens is for some reason when these animals that had antibodies because of the vaccine came in contact with the actual coronavirus, their bodies overreacted, got overstimulated their immune systems so that they ended up having hemorrhaged organs and cytokine storms and led to death. They discussed how this had happened in a trial on children for the RSV vaccine, which they bailed out on. That was the last time they had this problem, but it was so endemic through all of the different trials that they put out warnings saying, we should be very careful about moving into human trials for a coronavirus vaccine, because what people don't understand, they really don't know how a vaccine works. They will admit this to you. I could show you video upon video of top people and in, in vaccinologists that will say we don't necessarily know exactly how it works. We know we put these things in, your body creates antibodies, and then usually it blocks the, the virus or the bacteria In this case, they'll say, we don't know why antibody immune enhancement is happening. They don't know what's happening inside of the body. So this is so experimental and what's going on. Now imagine 70 different approaches to this are going to jump past the animal models where the animals died the last time we did it and had cytokine storms and every one of them got sicker than they would have been. Remember, Tony Fauci even warned us of this. I'm not making this up. They are warning you there is a chance this vaccine could make people sicker and we don't want to do that. Well, how are you going to avoid that? How are you going to avoid a a vaccine that actually puts us all at more risk if you are rushing the science? And that is what we read in every headline. People will ask me, you know, what is the Informed Consent Action Network? That's my nonprofit. I get asked by newspaper agencies, what do you think about the vaccine? Are you against the vaccine? I said, what I'm against is what I'm reading in the headlines, which is, The science is being rushed. I am against rushing any kind of science there is, especially the type of science that could affect our species permanently forever. This is not a time to rush, especially when, as we just pointed out, you have chloroquine, the scenes that have a 98% success rate in recovering people. Mm. So that's just a little bit on the, I think, what will prove to be the most dangerous vaccine of all times. And by the way, for those of us that, have always had an issue with the testing of vaccines. I mean, that's been my number one discussion since I made VAX and the the focus of the work of the Informed Consent Action Network. We have proved that not a single childhood vaccine was ever tested against an inert placebo to establish safety. It was put on the market without using the gold standard of safety testing, which is a placebo study. If you look at these trials right now, they're falling right in that line. Not one of these trials is going to have a placebo group getting a saline injection while everyone else gets injected with the vaccine so that you would have a real comparator, a real comparison group that is establishing you know, safety. You need a safety control. We don't have any of those in these trials, which are supposed to last a couple of months. And then imagine this. Most of the issues with vaccines that are written right on the inserts themselves pertain to autoimmune disease, autoimmune diseases, demyelinating conditions, multiple sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease and all of these things that take years to appear. They take, you know, two or three years from the moment your body starts, your immune system starts attacking your body till you even recognize it's happening. So if a vaccine can cause that, The idea that you're going to have safety trials and efficacy trials that will produce a vaccine in the next 12 to 18 months when you could have a life-threatening autoimmune disease appear three years later, not a single trial will ever have set out to make sure the vaccine doesn't do that. It may kill you, as I've already pointed out, but if it doesn't kill you, what if it just gives you a life-threatening and life-altering autoimmune disease? None of these trials will be long enough to prove that the vaccine does not do that. And let me just, since we're right here, make one last point. I have, I'm really not concerned that there is a virus that is going to wipe out this species that happens naturally. Now, we know there's things happening in biolabs. There's a lot of discussions right now whether this is bioengineered. I only speak about things I can prove, and I have not found the smoking gun on that yet. But we're looking. But here's my point. This species, we have been here since the dawn of man, we have been dealing with viruses and bacteria and seasons of these bacteria and viruses every single year. And we have never seen anything wipe out our species. I don't believe anything natural ever will wipe out our species. But you know what could wipe out our species? Rushed science that makes a critical mistake. Just think about this. This is not, this is, This is really not even a theory. In fact, it's the one thing we know this vaccine can do right now, which is have a deleterious effect once you come in contact with the virus. Imagine if Bill Gates gets his way, he rushes a vaccine onto the market. That vaccine will make about $370 billion in one year if you give it to 7.5 billion people as they hope they can. We all get a microchip or some version of tracking us to make Sure, we got our vaccine. We can't get on a plane, can't get our driver's license. What happens if we all get that vaccine? The quick, short trials look like it was safe. But then lo and behold, there's a mutation in the coronavirus, which, by the way, they're saying there's somewhere between three of them and 50 right now. There's a mutation that all of a sudden when we come in contact with it, that problem comes back that immune enhancement problem, and all of a sudden everybody starts dying. You can't get the vaccine out of you. You always knew this was a problem. You thought you got around the problem, but now what was going to be a common cold for the world, and maybe just as bad as the COVID-19, it kills 0.37%. What happens if it starts killing 90% of us because the vaccine is making us overreact to it? You see, I think a mistake by science is far more capable of eradicating this species from the planet than nature has proved to us it never will. Nature wants us to stay alive. We are part of an ecological system. Our bodies have an uh, an immune system designed to handle every virus and bacteria we have ever come in contact with before. Why would it be any different? It's people like Bill Gates, and people that really want to use the human species as a guinea pig and perhaps try to control how our bodies work, that's the most dangerous future I can imagine.
1: Oh, man. Yes. Cheers to that. And along these same lines, I've heard you make the point that it seems like a lot of the vaccine advocates are maybe pumping the brakes in this situation because the scrutiny over this vaccine and the trials might blow up the whole vaccine narrative. And I think that's a great point that people should be thinking about. And on the subject of vaccines possibly making us sicker, this is like the most mind-blowing stuff to me because it becomes more and more clear that we should side with nature over big pharma because they really haven't unlocked the complexities of our holistic system. And the last time you were here, we talked about some data that really stuck with me that suggests that When we get the measles naturally, we recover and actually develop a wide range of added immunities, including some cancers, it looks like. And there was a parallel to this in a study you covered on the High Wire called Influenza Vaccine and Respiratory Virus Interference Among Department of Defense Personnel During the 2017-2018 Influenza Season. Right. And it stated... While flu vaccination offers protection from influenza, natural influenza infection might reduce the risk of non-influenza respiratory viruses by providing non-specific immunity against these viruses. On the other hand, recently published studies have described the phenomenon of vaccine-associated virus interference, that is, vaccinated individuals may be at increased risk for other respiratory viruses because they do not receive the nonspecific immunity associated with natural infection. And that's just so interesting, man.
0: Yeah, and that's, look, that's an American study of our own military. It's not coming from, you know, some third world country that's right in this country. And what they said is it appeared to be, I believe it was about a 36% increased risk of developing and having complications with coronavirus if you had had the flu shot Whereas, if you had just not gotten the flu shot, had natural immunity, then you were in much better condition. And, and it makes sense, right? I mean, when we see this flu shed every year, the flu shot's a total failure. Uh, they admit that it's a failure. It's why you hear this discussion about the universal flu shot. We've got to figure out a flu shot that works for multiple years instead of making you have to get it every year where they say, whoops, sorry, we picked the wrong strains again, Dosh Gone it, you know, but uh, it'll be 10% effective, so you should still get it. I mean, imagine if that's how effective the coronavirus vaccine is, right? Forget about all the chances that it could kill you or cause autoimmune diseases. What if it just simply is only as effective as a flu shot at 10%? Do you think that they are going to let us all go to work and not lock us down because they have a vaccine that stops 10% of the problem? No way. No way. And by the way, all of the people, the elderly and those that sit in the risk category, those are the types that usually don't react well to vaccines anyway. And so you're going to have this situation where even though Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates you know, said our lives will go back to normal once we have that vaccine, what happens if the vaccine sucks? Then all of a sudden it's like, well, sorry, we missed it this year. Everybody back in your houses, masks on, lock it down, let's destroy the economy again. You know, we'll just be recovering from our 20 or 30% unemployment rate. If we're, if we're lucky, it stays that low. Now, let's just add to that. You see, this is like, it's like having third graders run our lives right now. There's no foresight to any of this thinking, none whatsoever. We are, I mean, I've never seen scientists tell us and, and world leaders say, here is our plan. We are going to find a unicorn. And once we find that unicorn, we will all be saved. That's what is going on right now. My dad used to term, I believe it's a hunting term, to say a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. You know, Go with what you have in your hand, not your dream of what you can get out there. Science is, deals in facts. It, it deals in what you can prove. It is not hopeful, it is not wishful thinking, it does not dream. It may have theories that look out in the future, but you do not alter your entire planet and world based on a hope and a dream. Science is supposed to stay in the mathematics of what does exist. That's what's so scary about what's going on. We're being told that science is making these decisions. Well, that's not true. By the way, almost every mathematician around the world right now is jumping up and down, screaming, saying we've made a tragic mistake. I had Knut Witkowski. He was on my show, and many like him, many virologists and scientists saying These draconian measures are not only not working, they are dangerous and they are doing the wrong thing.
1: Excellent points, man. You're killing it. But you did say that it seems like there's no foresight in this situation. But then I think, well, the Gates Foundation and John Hopkins did run a tabletop simulation last year called Event 201, and it looks a lot like this situation. And these are also the same people involved in the data, in the real world situation. You think that, you know, can we blame ignorance? Because they ran this very precise simulation last year. And that's the time when you think you would find errors in your data collection and all this kind of stuff, but they didn't find it. So I have to start wondering, is this about ignorance or is this a plan to make a couple hundred billion dollars that's actually quite calculated by some of these people?
0: I think that, you know, I'd like to shy away from just talking about the money because I think in some ways, it underestimates what's really at hand. I think there's a real desire to control and to to make sure that and in and for some people, that control of people, I mean, think about it. a, a helicopter parent doesn't hate her child, you know, or or hate his child. They helicopter because they love them so much that they're terrified that they're going to lose them. They can't handle the idea of all the different ways they could die or get sick. So they just smother this child, right? In many ways, that's what our health departments are like. You know, there may be, you know, dark reasons they do what they do, but you could also just argue that they're just really bad helicopter parents. So instead of letting us run around free, letting us catch a cold or go skiing or take risks, go snowboarding or out on a boat, let's just lock everybody down that way. They'll never they can't die. And they'll I mean, by the way, almost every death rate we know is down right now, because as it turns out being locked in a prison cell is good for your health on one level. It's not good for your mental health, but, you know, less car accidents, you know, no boating accidents right now. You're certainly, you know, not going to get any surfing accidents because you're going to be arrested if you even attempt to do it. So, is that the world we want to live in, right? So, I think that, you know, yes, there's hundreds of billions of dollars to be made, but here's what we know. The World Health Organization told us over a year ago they want every human being on the planet vaccinated. That's the plan. I did a whole show on the internal meetings early on this year, I think it was the second week of January, where in December of last year, the World Health Organization talked about the fact that they wanted everybody on vaccines. Why? They said it very clearly because essentially they took herd immunity away from the world by using vaccines. They said, we have made the world so dependent upon vaccines that if we do not continue, we're gonna be in real trouble. People have got to keep getting vaccines, because remember, When you had real herd immunity to measles, went back in the 1960s when all of our parents had had it, all of our grandparents had had the measles. They had lifelong immunity. We were truly protected. No baby ever got it because they were protected because the immune antibodies were handed down by their mom when they were born. All of that has been erased by vaccine immunity. We took the Ferrari of immunity that everyone had parked out front of their house protecting them, and we replaced it with a Pinto. We all now have the Ford Pinto of immunity, and we have to go into the shop all the time to get it fixed over and over again. It's now not just two MMR vaccines, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine when you're a kid. They're talking about adding a third because we have so many mumps outbreaks and kids that had all of their vaccinations. And now if you look on the adult vaccine schedule, two more MMR vaccines as adults. So we're looking at what, five? And then it'll be seven, it'll be 10. These things don't create real immunity. They do not last, that's a fact. And so that's what gets to be very, very problematic. When, on the other hand, if you look at the situation right now, and many scientists are talking about this, COVID-19 for you know most of us, 90-something percent of us, is going to be a cold at the very worst. So why aren't we figuring out a way to quarantine the elderly, those that are over 65, and not just just that that have comorbid issues? Instead of taking your entire workforce out, why don't we just airtight lock down our old folks' homes? Let's go ahead and create centers where people with autoimmune illnesses can go and be protected and pay those nurses and doctors really well to stay locked in there, deliver food in a way that's hermetically sealed so that nobody can come in contact with what's happening outside. And then, I mean, this, look, we're paying trillions of dollars right now in severance packages. Do you see anyone retrofitting our hospitals, retrofitting our old folks' homes? A couple billion dollars here and there, and we could change the way America's set up. We could be a Fort Knox for a future situation like this so it never happens to us again, so we never destroy our economy. No, instead, we put in what we call the Ark. You know, we lock away the elderly and those that are immune-suppressed, for you know how long, about four weeks. And we let the rest of us be the true soldiers for this country to be the real heroes and go out and catch that cold. (laughs) Grab a box of Kleenex, weather it out for four days, and now you are immune for life, or at least for the next several years, and as you pointed out, probably immune to a host of other illnesses, which is how this conversation started. You have such a broad immunity when you actually get the illness. You get all of the proteins wrapped around You know, and the antigens, every part of it your body's immune to, not some cross section, some piece that they stuck in a petri dish and grew on some aborted fetal DNA, then stuck in a vial and injected into you. All of those vaccines are coming up short. Your body does not recognize the whole array of the illness. So we know for a fact that there will be mutations to the coronavirus. Those who actually had it will be more likely to be able to defend themselves to future mutations than anyone that gets a vaccine. I could go on and on and on, but think about it. Why can't we devise a program in America that really can protect and seal away those that are at risk, less than 1% of us, while the 99% of us stay working and keep this country strong so that we can take on any, I mean, it's just like any battle, right? We're just battling a virus right now a very weak virus for 99% of us. There are better ways. It may not be the only way, but don't you think when you're listening to Tony Fauci and even Bill Gates, while they, they, they are on their hunt and they're searching the mountains of the world for a unicorn to protect us, wouldn't it be smart to be developing other systems so that, you know what? We could actually survive this. Chloroquine seems to work. Let's lock away those that are immune suppressed for a few weeks while we all develop the immunity that makes America strong again. Amen man,
1: amen preach. And you had a really poetic point on your show right along these lines where you said, "Hey, just get something to heal the sick people and leave the healthy people alone." And I think that's just such a great way to phrase it because it mentally gets your wheels turning. Yeah, what the hell? They're trying to create a product that they are only going to use on healthy people and there isn't something for the people that are sick, which are the people that need something. But I also agree when you say that it's about more than just the money. And of course, I have my own thoughts on the nefarious intentions of these people. But strategically, it's probably a poor strategy to put that in the conversation when you're trying to convince your conventional friends and family, and you don't even need to go to those speculative levels because... Like, if people want to put their trust in Fauci and the CDC, you can. It just depends on what you look at, because there's actually a pretty big discrepancy between what Fauci is saying on the news versus what he's written in medical journals lately. And that's probably pretty telling, isn't it? Well, definitely.
0: What you're pointing out is while he's telling us, you know, you know, at one point, hundreds of thousands could die, you know, and then it was tens of thousands uh, he's actually, you know, published in I believe is the New England Journal of Medicine that there's a chance this could just be like another flu season in the 0.1, you know, 3.16 uh, percent death rate range. Remember, Germany already has this at 0.37. All of this well below 1 percent. Remember, Donald Trump was was ridiculed and attacked by the media for making the comment in the Rose Garden when he says, "I want to open up very nearly, hopefully, Easter." He said, I believe that this this is going to have a death rate under 1%. They came after him, yet even the guy working for him is saying exactly that when he writes it. He's not saying it on the televisions. But to make your point, and to people, I mean, again, I really only come to things, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. I don't have a degree in medicine. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a reporter. My job is to interview people and read medical journals and, and try to ask the questions that thinking people would be asking. And so I try to approach these things from a reasonable position. Let's just look at the history of vaccination, really, when we talk about a business model, right? Now, in this circumstance, coronavirus is a perfect example. Imagine that you have a drug company and you make a product. Maybe it's a lot like chloroquine. Chloroquine is not a perfect example, because it's the worst thing. It's generic, it's already passed its patent, so no wonder nobody wants that to work because there's no company that can step up and make billions of dollars. But let's go ahead and say you make a drug that can treat COVID-19 100% success. It's about $20 a pill, you know, or let's go ahead and make an expensive one, $200 a pill, and it treats COVID-19 100% success. But the problem with that product, really when you look at it is, It's only going to be used by 0.37% of the population because those are the only people that are at risk of dying. And they're the only ones that are going to care enough to take this drug. So, okay, 0.37%, you know, one-third of a percent of our population. So what are we talking, um, a million and a half, maybe a million people will buy this drug. You could stand to make, you know, $200 million. That sounds like a lot of money. But that's really not for a pharmaceutical company. Instead, how about this idea? And I I can't imagine who pitched it the first time, how well it went over. Hey guys, wait, hold on a second. I know we've got this cure that could take care of 0.37% of people that are actually dying from this illness. But what about this? What if we say there is no product that can protect those that are actually sick? We have a product that everybody else has to take in order to protect that 0.37%. What I'm talking about is something called a vaccine. What we do is we say, because those immune suppressed can't take the vaccine, we have to give it to 99.7% of the population that can take it, the healthy people. Now you just went from making, you know, I I don't even have a calculator here, but we're going to say $200 million. Now take 340 million people and give them a product that costs 200 bucks a pop And you see where this is going. We're in the billions moving towards trillions of dollars. Worldwide, all of these programs end up being multi-trillion dollar products. And so that's why I say this. I don't mind if they want to make a vaccine as long as that vaccine is designed for those that are over 65 years old that have comorbidities, the ones that are actually at risk from COVID-19. Make a product for them because I am not worried. I don't have to be worried. All science says, I'm going to have a cold. I'll take the cold. Thank you very much. Oh, and by the way, my kids, zero effect on them. They're going to take the cold too. Don't go making a product because you stand to make trillions of dollars that all of my healthy family have to take it to protect that immune suppressed tiny percentage group. I mean, it makes sense. It's the, I mean, I got to hand it to them, right? It's the greatest business model that ever, ever was created. It's everybody else needs it. Oh, and by the way, the only reason our product doesn't work is because of those people that refuse to use it. I mean, these are genius advertising slogans, but come on now. If our best and brightest scientists in the world are capable as, capable as we think they are, I'm pretty sure they could come up with a product that just deals with those people who are actually at risk. Make a product for those who are at risk and leave the healthy people to develop the greatest immunity there is, true herd immunity. Let us do our part and be the heroes that went out and got a cold.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot more sense than the protocols were being handed down from on high. And I did want to ask, as we're pulling this thing together, hypothetically, if it did come to a point where a COVID-19 vaccine was required to reintegrate with the public And of course, your kids are unvaccinated, which, you know, I'd be interested to just know what you've seen firsthand from that. But have you thought about how your family would handle that specifically? Do you have any advice for families struggling with that potential question? Is it enough to leave?
0: You know, I think I answer that question the way I actually do myself, which is I refuse to even accept that as a reality. Once I've accepted that as a reality, it becomes a greater possibility in my life. I think that our minds are powerful and we, we not only you know believe what we see, we see what we believe. And if I allow that to be a part of my belief system, then we're already further down the road than I want to go. I use the motivation of the idea that that's a possibility. When it does, it's not that I can't erase it from my head. I use that as a motivation to be the warrior for truth I am right now. And I do that because the glimpses and the images of how I react should someone come to my door and attempt to do something with my kids? I mean, it's close, right? You have the head, of the, one of the heads of the World Health Organization saying, we need to start going door to door and taking people out of the house that have COVID-19. That means that might be my son. That might be my 11-year-old son. What would you do? Because there's no vaccine right now, but the World Health Organization, which you seem to support, right? You're angry that Donald Trump is questioning funding an organization that has a plan and is stating to you, we would like to be able to come and take your child away to some quarantine place you don't know about and maybe ventilate them without your control. Just the thought of what del beatry becomes in that moment fuels me to stay involved in politically being active in socially being active, in talking to every single person I know, because I want to stay on the legal side of what can be done. I want to stay within the parameters that my founding fathers gave me to get to the truth. God help us, should we ever find ourselves in a situation that any of these crazy people in these organizations that are really having way too much power in this world, should they get their way. God forbid you think you're going to come door to door and test everyone in my family and take away someone who has a cold. Yes. Not going to happen. And what we do at that moment, I think that that will be reliant just on natural instincts. And I think they'll kick in fairly similarly for a
1: lot of people. Yes. And we just can't let it get there. So no, man, this has been really great. And before we go, I definitely wanted to remind people about how important and effective your nonprofit organization ICANN has been. I understand you've won lawsuits against the National Institute of Health, the FDA, and recently the CDC, which is exactly the kind of action we need. Can you give the people just a few words about ICANN and its accomplishments and how to support it?
0: So I started, you know, for many people they know, I I made the film Vaxxed from Cover Up to Catastrophe. I produced that. That sort of catapulted me into this discussion. I'd been a medical producer for The Doctors for six years. So I'm a person who really, actually really geeks out on reading medical journals and trying to make it understandable to the people. I'm pretty good at it. You know, I I won an Emmy Award along with my show for the work that we did there. But when I was traveling the country with Vaxxed, there was a real issue with the film. And some people that are you know, anti-vaccine will attack me and say, why did the film say you should just break up the MMR, or, there were mistakes made? Whatever the case may be, you know what bothered me the most about the film, and, and I think it's a brilliant film, and a lot of people have really, I think, come around to a new understanding because of it. But what bothered me is as I was traveling the country more and more people were coming up and telling their stories, their personal stories of vaccine injury. And it wasn't just the MMR vaccine. The Vax was only about one vaccine and one vaccine study. It's really, if you think about it, Vax is really more like All the President's Men. It's a film about a government cover-up. I will say this. People will say, you know, that Vax doesn't prove that the MMR causes autism. And I agree with you. It doesn't. It doesn't prove the MMR causes autism, what it proves is that five scientists at the CDC did a study where they thought they were proving that vaccines cause autism, and they committed scientific fraud. It proves that a government cover-up took place. Beyond that, there's more research you need to do into why they would do that. But as I traveled the country, so many people were saying, my child never got to the MMR vaccine. They got autism right after the DTaP vaccine. In fact, I would argue that in the world today, more people blame the DTaP vaccine for their child's autism than the MMR vaccine, which I found shocking. Uh, I also had people coming up saying my child died right after a flu shot, or they were paralyzed after the HPV Gardasil vaccine, or they died after the Gardasil vaccine. I started realizing all of the vaccines on our schedule are hurting or killing somebody, that none of them, uh, because I get asked that all the time, and I would You know, is there a safe vaccine? And I can tell you, I've met someone that's been killed by every vaccine that was made. Anecdotal, sure, but when you start hearing lots and lots of the same story, uh, it becomes less and less anecdotal. So I wanted answers, and so I created the Informed Consent Action Network, a nonprofit, where I wanted to take all the skills, and by the way, I brought over a couple of producers from the CBS talk show The Doctors that helped me do the research and helped create the high wire, which is why a lot of people say it looks just like television. Well, we're doing it other than the fact that we, I think we have a couple hundred dollar cameras and not, you know, hundred thousand dollar cameras and, you know, a little bit more tchotchke lights and things. We are approaching this the way we learn to do television. But I wanted to investigate the safety of all vaccines. And so what I would say is this, that I think as a reporter and a journalist, unlike you, you cover a lot of different subjects. It's brilliant. And that's what great reporters do. I've been really hyper focused on one subject, very focused. In fact, the body of our research has been on not just vaccines, but one word about vaccines, safety. We hear that vaccines are safe and effective. ICANN has been focused on how do they say they're safe? And that's where we've won the lawsuits in proving that these are lies that say that they're safe. As I said earlier, ICANN really officially proved that not a single childhood vaccine ever used the scientific method, the gold standard, which is a double-blind placebo study to establish safety Uh, before it was licensed to the public. So we proved that. Uh, We also proved that the 1986 compensation program, which where we took liability away from the industry and anybody that makes a vaccine, so you cannot sue them. We proved that 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 law actually mandated that our government would take over scientific studies and reporting to the Congress. We sued Health and Human Services and won. We sued the National Institute of Health and prove that they were not doing the job of making vaccines safer that the law required. And then most recently, the FDA lawsuit (laughs) was a lawsuit where very quickly, when we go into a Walgreens, or you look anywhere, you see these posters that have a pregnant woman, and it says, if you're pregnant, make sure to get your flu and Tdap vaccine to protect your baby. Well, we asked the FDA to show us the studies that were done giving flu shots and Tdap vaccines to pregnant women to establish they're safe because remember, until very recently, all vaccines says do not give to pregnant women. So if you're making a change, what trials, what studies did you do made that change? And so we demanded to see all of the studies of flu shots and Tdap vaccines. The FDA reference when it recommended that it was safe for pregnant women, they fought us. We won in court and they admitted there's not a single trial we've ever done on pregnant women using flu shots and Tdap vaccines. So they're literally, when you hear Fauci say, we don't like off-label usages, we gotta make sure it's safe. They are literally recommending something that has never been through a study, is a total off-label usage on every pregnant woman. And we even saw, uh, as reported by the CDC, a rise in miscarriage and first trimester uh, injections of flu shots. All of this is real, and this is why we win these lawsuits. And then lastly, we just won a lawsuit against the CDC, who on their website claims vaccines plural, all of them do not cause autism. And we said, great. I know that they, you know, I know that the study that the VAX is about is an MMR study. And they could argue that that study proved that vaccines don't cause autism. I'll show you that it was a fraudulent study and they kicked half the kids off the study and committed scientific fraud. But either way, the site, you know, could say we trust that study and MMR doesn't cause autism but I was more concerned about the other vaccines and especially the first six vaccines given in multiple doses in the first six months of life. So if I can remember now is it's hepatitis B, Hib, Prevnar 13, polio vaccine, and the DTaP vaccine, the one I told you most parents say caused their child's autism. And so we said to the CDC, if you're saying vaccines, all of them don't cause autism, can you show us the studies and trials you relied upon to determine that the first six vaccines given in the first six months of life do not cause autism. Because remember now, as they say we're diagnosing better, they actually say they can diagnose autism at six months. So if vaccines can be implicated in any way, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying ask the question in any way, it would be those first six vaccines that would really be problematic. So what trials and studies did you use to determine that they're not causing autism? Well, they fought us for over a year. We finally took them to court. And the court said, you've got to answer, you've got to provide the studies. Imagine that would have to happen, right? You would think there would be like a file ready to go to anyone ask the question, here you go. Here's the thousands, or you know, here's a box of studies that proves our point, because we say it all the time. They didn't, they didn't want to provide it. When the court finally got involved, the judge forced them to do it. They handed over 20 total studies. These 20 studies, they say, is what we relied upon to say that those vaccines don't cause autism. Well, those studies, about five of them were MMR studies. I wasn't asking about the MMR vaccine. I was asking about the other six given earlier in the first six months of life. Then another five or six were thimerosal studies, a mercury-containing ingredient that is not in any of the vaccines we asked about. So throw those out. Another 10 or so were uh, of of, uh, MMR and thimerosal combined studies, neither of which were a part of the vaccines that were in question in the end And you should really watch my show to get into the details. Those 20 studies did not have any way of saying or even referencing the fact that the vaccines we asked about, the first six, don't cause autism. And so, therefore, we are asking the CDC to take that line off of your website. It's a lie. You cannot say that all vaccines don't cause autism if you don't have studies to prove that the ones given in that first six months of life don't. They all have to have been proven to not cause autism, and that's not the case, especially DTaP, which more parents claim. And you know what? One of the things they provided to us was not actually a study. It was a review, a review of all the studies in the world done by the Institute of Medicine, which is our Nobel laureates and those that are our highest-ranking scientists. And in that review, they said, we can neither confirm nor deny that the DTaP vaccine causes autism because no studies have ever been done investigating that question so the number one vaccine accused by parents of causing autism in the world has never been studied whether it causes autism or not and for those that are asking i would put it simply because of will saying people saying well the mmr study proves that DTAP doesn't cause autism i literally hear that right and i would say this okay would you accept that if i told you that we asked the cdc to give us every study that shows that they relied upon to say that OxyContin is safe and non-habit-forming? And when they finally did, they fought us, they fought us, and they came back and they said, okay, under court order, here they are. And they gave us five studies on aspirin not being, being safe and non-habit-forming. Five studies on Tylenol, safe and non-habit-forming. Five studies on Advil, safe and non-habit-forming. There you go. Hold on a second. I asked about OxyContin. I asked about that drug with heroin essentially in it, that one. Well, we relied on these other studies to determine that that one was safe. That's how the science is being done. And that's why we are now taking those lawsuit wins we've had. And we're now moving into civil court cases in New York and in California. We are going, we are finding our way into being able to sue in a space that was totally indemnified. We are working out ways to do that, and that's what the Informed Consent Action Network is doing on top of funding all the research we've been doing for the high wire and the reporting we've been doing. I highly recommend people go and watch the last four episodes or so of the high wire. It is packed with science. It is packed with links that you get to go and look at and come to your own conclusions. And if you want to help fund this work, which costs us millions of dollars, Every year, all the lawsuits and all the scientists that we fund and work with around the world, we can really use your help. Go to ICANDecide.org. That's our nonprofit's website and hit the donate button. I'm pretty sure we have a donate button on the Highwire too. So you can also go to thehighwire.com to watch the episodes of the Highwire. We do not sell any products, even though I believe in vitamins, they don't sell vitamins. I don't want anyone telling us what we can report or whether they think they're happy with how we're discussing these issues. We want to be totally free to have total free speech and deliver free news. Everything as we find it, and that's what we're doing, we're going to continue to do.
1: Mm. Yes, man, so important. Thank you for breaking that down, and kudos on the win. Of course, people hearing us now should watch The High Wire. I would be really lost without it. It's available at thehighwire.com and on your YouTube channel, which I hope you're backing up regularly at this point. We are. (laughs) (laughs) Del, you are the man. You crushed it today. An inspiration to us all. Thanks so much for taking the time and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. You keep up the good fight, too. Thanks for keeping it real and honest. We'll see you next time. Yes, all you cool cats and kittens. Del, Big Tree, bringing the heat, bringing the fire. (laughs) I have just been really jazzed up, because I know this will be a well-liked show. It's a good compliment to Dr. Kaufman. And it seems like the vast majority of people liked Dr. Kaufman, or David Crow, even. But some found these guys to be a bit extreme. And so, like I said in this intro, Dell is a great bridge between some of the more extreme opinions and the average person. That is, if we're trying to increase our numbers, and I think we should be. I've used the phrase educational circle jerk before, and as crass as it is, what I'm saying is a lot of times in conspiracy circles, we just get excited about telling each other things we already know. And this, more than ever, seems like a bad time to be doing that. And this is polarizing stuff, but my goal is... To use shows like this to bring more people to our understanding, not just to widen the gap between us or call them stupid and propaganda Kool-Aid drinkers. We need the numbers. And with a show like today, you don't need to rethink an entire paradigm to basically come to the same conclusions about this whole COVID-19 thing. And I don't know which thought process is more correct, I just know, strategically, this is an easier pill to swallow for most of the friends and family that we might want to explain our perspective to. Strategy clearly matters. We're going up against one hell of an aggressive narrative. And again, I still, even this week, can't tell if it's breaking down or getting worse. I'm seeing masks everywhere. I've been denied entry for not having a mask in one instance. But we do have the president talking about his three-phase plan, even though it feels a little weak. We do have more protests happening now. Some of what they're calling San Diego's pocket parks are opening, but still, no to the beach and no on the popular mountain trails. And thankfully, some of my inner circle is also losing their patience, and we even had a couple quarantine breakers, which was a beautiful thing for me to see. Solitary confinement is like the worst thing we do to people, so we can only take so much of it, because quality of life matters. The goal to me isn't just to breathe as many breaths as possible. I want to enjoy the ride. And I think you take a bigger risk to drive on the highway to get here than you would if we had a six-man barbecue. You know what I'm saying? Life's full of risks. This is not new. But on the subject of getting together, we kind of glossed over herd immunity today, even though Dell mentioned it several times. I didn't think we needed to really get down to herd immunity 101. But we do often hear about herd immunity in the context of vaccines, which is where I think a lot of people's alarm bells start to go off. And of course, that is a big pharma sleight of hand twist on what is really a very natural phenomenon. Don't throw that baby out with the bathwater, as they say. There is reason to think that we can wear out the virus, so to speak, by having it spread through our healthiest and most robust people. There's a real argument for that. And again, there are many layers and perspectives you can take on all this. Are they even looking at a true virus that's making people sick in these tests? Is it just an exosome? Are we still dealing with that mindset that there are no good viruses the same way Doctors used to be taught there is no good bacteria, and then of course we learned that that's not true, and we have a very robust and populated gut biome full of bacteria, and we might even have a virome, which is like all these viruses. People talk about trading viruses by the hundreds when you shake hands with someone, and we were all fine up until a few short months ago. I wanted to say weeks, but no, we got to say months now. Still hard to believe. But as I was trying to say, there's just many ways to look at this, many layers and perspectives, but all roads lead to this is grossly overhyped, the details in the data tell a completely different story, the testing, treatment, and trading of other illnesses all take giant chunks out of those big scary numbers we see on TV, and a vaccine-poisoned surveillance state is the end goal, that we want to avoid here. But it was a perfect time to have Dell back. I really loved it. He's a great dance partner for this sort of thing. We had a real good flow going there. And we did talk about some stuff that really shocked me. The ventilator thing is really sad and quite dark. I've definitely seen a few more stories about it since we recorded this, as Dell predicted. And I really, really wanted to make sure that was in the first hour. Del can speak at length, but I knew we had to get that question in quickly. A lot of people need to hear that. And I would say people should hear everything in the interview, but I'm biased. I do consider putting these full shows out for free because these topics are so important right now. But I'm not asking for a lot, and if I'm going to just put out the best and most valuable shows I record for free, then what? I'm incentivized to do less important shows? It just doesn't make sense. And you do think this is a lot better than the Big Pharma-sponsored legacy cable news media coverage, don't you? This is what I've done for years, it's not really new, and I think all my shows are important in some regard. Why do them if not? but I did give out a coupon code for a free week so that people could get in and access these particular shows. And I guess I can keep that going. So use the coupon code Corona when you're signing up and you can get a free week of THC plus all caps C O R O N A sign up at the higher And I do hope that you stay a month or two just to show me a little love You don't have to be a member forever. But maybe some of you can meet me halfway. All I can do is ask. So here's to hoping. Because all day people do tell me I love your show and I would sign up, but I'm broke. As they're paying $60 for Animal Crossing or the Final Fantasy VII Remake. But hey, to each their own. Again, I'm just trying to create some options for you. So use that coupon code CORONA if you want to hear the second hour. A lot of people used it the last time I mentioned, which has made me and my wife breathe a little bit easier. But then we realize it actually doesn't help us to live any easier unless some of those people stick around. So fingers crossed. And of course, the second hour today is just as savory as the first, as we always try to do. But today we got into Dell's thoughts on Trump's behavior through all of this the possibility of that 5G and EMF connection to mass sickness, the concerning behavior from the tech industry and internet censorship in the COVID-19 story, the Easter protests, and the prospect of a growing protest movement over all of this. I think we're seeing that more every day. And we talked about some of the best defense strategies and what Dell is concerned about when it comes to The geopolitics of everything, and what the next century is going to look like when we already thought China would be at the top, and now they're getting a head start. All stuff worth considering. So sign up for Plus, get the second half of this interview and all the interviews I do. I know people are searching for good, nerve calming answers in the wake of all this, and I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. I've said before, I'm not always the fastest to give you a conspiracy breakdown of this or that, but I like to think we can get deeper and more accurate information by taking a breath and finding the right people in the right time. I've said before, I'm not really a researcher, but I think I'm good at finding those right people, so I obviously need time to digest what's out there before we just throw stuff out and maybe waste a show on bad information but now i think you can combine david Crow, dr kaufman the show we did with chris and gordon the bubble tea video chat that i did with gordon and now this dell big tree interview and you've got a pretty damn good range of sense-making alternatives i have some upcoming guests that will probably focus more on the social side of things and less on the medical side And I think that's needed because that is the part that's going to stick with us for a long time, potentially. So there's going to be plenty of room to talk about it. And I still want to get into other subjects too, right? I can't forget that there's a big wide world out there and this too shall pass. But big thanks to everyone for paying attention. Big thanks to Dell for taking the time. Watch the high wire, put it in your rotation. He's got an amazing team of people over there and they make a very high quality show. How the most enthusiastic vaccine advocate could sit down and watch a few episodes of high wire and not be convinced boggles my mind. So let it be the resource that it is for you. But I guess that's it for me. We do have a joint session tonight, April 22nd, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific. I look forward to hearing how you guys are dealing with the chaos and how this is affecting your neck of the woods. Should be a solid little powwow. Join with the link right on the front page of thehiresidechats.com. Hopefully I'll see you then. Do take care of you and yours, and I'll catch you next time. Your move, propaganda pushers, medical data manipulators, and agents of this coronavirus chaos. Your fucking move.
2: I will take banca
1: of your local civil defense organization. The basement of any house or building will become a good improvised shelter if you block the windows with sandbags. If you don't have sandbags, just what can you do?
2: Bunker, take it under. you find me in the bunker. Bunker, bunker, take it under. you find me in the bunker. Bunker, take it under. Bunker. good,